0: Welcome to another episode of 2024, a podcast where we believe that the best way to celebrate your birthday is to roast ultra-conservatives. I am Joseph, Nia is here again, and today we are starting a two-part series on the Ronald Reagan. Two episodes ago, I said that I had a lot of thoughts on Reagan, and today we're going to share as much of them as we could as we can so Nia thank you so much for coming onto the show
1: thank you so much for having me let's get it
0: yeah let's do this would you like to share some background on another of our favorite punching bags
1: yes I would um, okay, so the Ronald Reagan was born on February 6th, 1911. Um, fun fact, Harriet Tubman was still alive when he was born.
0: We, we say this, we say this because we always want to make the point that a lot of stuff was not that long ago.
1: <laughs> yes. When you look at who was alive when he was alive, uh, yeah, things get crazy. Um, but... Reagan majored in economics and sociology at Eureka College, which no one has heard of, but no one's heard of stats neither, so it's okay. Um, and he graduated with a C average and was largely indifferent about studying. And normally we wouldn't rip on the grades of any politicians. However, um, and we're not—we're not judging anyone for this. Um, we're not judging anyone who is struggling now, particularly. If they're struggling due to physical or mental health reasons or other personal challenges but it's interesting because reagan once he became president um a large part of his platform focused on education well of course he cut funding from the education department but it focused on education and people pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and he certainly said a lot of negative things about certain communities because he claimed that they didn't value education um, and that that is why they were struggling economically. Um, and so it's very interesting that for someone who claimed to value discipline and hard work and education so much, Reagan kind of partied his way through college and um, was not the greatest student. Um, and then afterwards, he actually went into acting for those of you who didn't know, and he was an actor. Um, he was considered a B-list actor for much of his career. Um, most of his films um, <laughs> aren't particularly great. Uh, but he was better known, actually, for his involvement in the Screen Actors Guild, uh, which we'll touch on later, because he really rose to prominence within the Guild. I believe he was president of the Guild for a brief period of time. Uh, and that is where his kind of real presence within Hollywood actually was. And in 1954, Reagan became the host of a TV show called General Electric Theater. Which was a huge propaganda show for General Electric, um, and in this role, he was required to tour sixteen General Electric factories a year. And when he would tour these factories, he would give talks at these factories, and they had a huge right-wing, pro-business tilt, um, as we can as we can expect. And um, Michael Reagan claims that when RFK was the attorney attorney general, he pressured. General Electric to fire Reagan from General Electric Theater, and General Electric, General Electric did do this, um, and it propelled Reagan into it propelled Reagan's political career, um, which again a turn of events that no one was expecting, and he became governor of California in 1967 after kind of rising to political prominence after uh, what GE did. And the central themes of his campaign were to, well, there were a lot, but the main one was to send the welfare bums back to work and clean up the mess at Berkeley. Um, Berkeley at the time was, and it still was, uh, the site of a lot of protest. Um, at the time, there was a lot of protest against the Vietnam War, obviously. Um, it was also the the city was expanding there was also a lot of homelessness in berkeley um there was a lot of drug abuse in berkeley um and <clears throat> reagan saw this rather than viewing these people and like wanting to help them out um reagan saw this as like a giant mess that needed to be cleaned up and that was his campaign that was the way he ran his campaign um obviously things have not changed like the whole cleaning up the city sort of thing is still very much a large part of a lot of people's campaigns um and there were lots and lots of dog whistles within his campaign um so he didn't say what he was actually oh for those of you who don't know what a dog whistle is it's essentially um the premise is that you say something that only certain groups of people will understand um the actual meaning of and for everyone else it's seemingly innocuous so he would use a lot of language that would cover up his disdain for certain groups of people which included minorities um the poor people homeless people just anyone who didn't fit into his very small circle of people um and his campaign was full of dog whistles and it was really the first time that we saw a campaign that was full of such dog whistles and of course we're really used to that sort of thing now um <clears throat> and he signed the one of his first acts as governor, was to sign the Malford Act, which banned assault weapons. Um, and the only reason he did this uh, was because, not because he was actually in favor of gun control, um, not because he <laughs> had necessarily any any problem with the the amount of gun violence that was prevalent back then and is certainly still prevalent now, but because the Black Panthers had assault weapons and he... <laughs> He was afraid that the Black Panthers would somehow uh, coalesce into a militia sort of force if they continued to have assault weapons. And he was a staunch supporter of the death penalty. And one of his main frustrations as governor of California was not being able to use it enough. That was another... couldn't kill enough people. (laughs) No, he couldn't kill enough people. That was another thing that he was extremely frustrated about. And he won as everyone knows, the 1980 presidential election based entirely on racial dog whistles. Again, it wasn't based entirely on racial dog whistles. Um, The tide in the country was turning. People thought that civil rights had gone way too far, um, and he was able to kind of capitalize on that. And his first speech was at the Neshoba County Fair in Mississippi, where he gave his famous states' rights speech, which again was full of racist dog whistles. And a former Republican national convention member uh, encouraged Reagan to give his speech at that fair to court. George Wallace inclined voters. if Joseph wants to explain what that means.
0: The racists.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: it's a, that's the short version. Like the George Wallace inclined voters, like pretty much ex-democratic party members um that switched over to the Republican Party. Because the Democrats were like, um, or like, because the Democrats back in the 60s were like, um, we're not gonna do the racism stuff as much anymore. Um, and then the Republicans were like, okay, we'll do it now. Um, and that's how party alignment or realignment happened.
1: (laughs) Yes. Reagan was a huge facet of this party realignment that happened. Um, where as we can see, like, civil rights, uh, racial issues kind of became this huge dividing point between Democrats and Republicans to a degree that we hadn't seen previously. Um, And Reagan would, of course, further this divide by, uh, as we'll touch on later, completely wanting to get rid of any sort of social service possible. Um, But to backtrack a bit, um, it's important to note that Reagan actually considered himself a liberal Democrat for most of his youth um and and right up until the time he was really trying to like get involved in politics um he was a liberal democrat until roughly 1962 that's where kind of estimates place it um, and he wasn't so he wasn't always a republican and he certainly wasn't always a staunch conservative um, he started becoming conservative for a couple of different reasons um, it started when he was still an actor he was becoming incredibly concerned with the amount of sympathy that was arising for communism within both the Actors Guild and Hollywood. And as president of the Actors Guild, he constantly spoke out against communism and what he saw as anti-Americanism and unfuttered progressivism and just general degeneracy, apparently, within Hollywood at the time. Um, <clears throat> as one can imagine, degeneracy, uh, well, degeneracy often alludes to um, just something being a safe, safer space, slightly safer space for the LGBTQ plus community, um, which he saw a problem with. And he, this ended up earning the attention of fellow actress Nancy Reagan. Um, And that's very important because it's not really spoken about much, but Nancy's politics influenced Reagan's politics quite a bit. Um, her family was incredibly conservative and she came from a, a very wealthy family of Repub- Republican Party donors. And she just had an, an immense amount of influence over Reagan's politics um, because she, she kind of was the one who kind of made him see the fact that uh, he should not be voting Democrat anymore given his stance against communism. Um, so that's also so those sentiments still existed back then as we can see um and in this episode we're going to go into Reaganomics in particular Um, the
0: dumbest set of economic policies that we have ever seen
1: yes um so like Joseph said earlier it's a two-part series um but in this episode we're going to really focus on Reaganomics um the absolute mess of an economic system that Reagan created that is so pernicious that it's still still exists within our current economic system and it's fundamentally changed the way we view economics it's fundamentally changed the way we view taxes um it's it scaled back a lot of the progress that was made under fdr so just, just a lot happened with reaganomics um so yeah let's start. get into this yes let's get into this um to start so based in a nutshell in a nutshell because it's their reaganomics was a lot um it was essentially the belief that if you cut taxes on the wealthy they will reinvest the money saved from those taxes to create more jobs in the private sector, you're probably familiar with this, but this is otherwise known as trickle down economics, which is incredibly stupid and does not work.
0: Yeah, let's let's all take a moment to uh, let's all take a moment of silence so that you you all listeners can have an opportunity to scream.
1: Yes, and so trickle down economics did exist as a policy prior to Reagan, particularly uh, in other contexts. However, he kind of gave it, and he kind of coined the term, he gave it a name, um, he practiced it on a national level, and he was really invested in in making this a functional economic system through which corporations would profit. So he fundamentally changed the landscape of trickle-down economics too. Um, But so, so, and so he did cut taxes on major corporations by a lot, and more jobs were not created as a result of this. Um, the private sector did expand under his presidency, but the primary benefactors of his trickle down policies were the top five percent of the country, um, in particular, like top one percent, and even even less than that. Um, most ben- most people did not benefit from this at all. There was not that much job growth. Um, there was certainly some of the some of the issues that we're still dealing with today, where uh, recent college graduates and people who otherwise had qualifications were not finding jobs that met their qualifications. So even if even in periods of time where there was lower unemployment under Reagan, um, that doesn't necessarily indicate the best economic conditions overall. And he, so, so another thing that reagan did as part of his trickle-down policy was uh argue for the capital gains tax which which in a nutshell capital gains tax are a tax on the growth uh, in value of investments incurred when individuals and corporations sell those investments and when the assets are sold the capital gains are referred to as having been realized and the tax does not apply to unsold investments or unrealized capital gains. So stock shares that appreciate every year will not incur capital gains taxed until they're sold, no matter how long you happen to hold them. What does all of that mean? Basically means that the only thing, the main thing that gets taxed is the sale of an investment rather than the purchase of an investment, which incentivized a lot of companies to hold on to their investments and grow in size, and it encouraged the growth of monopolies in an effort to prevent shares from being sold both within the market, but also kind of within the general public. So share prices went up and people who otherwise would be able to invest in these shares were not able to. Again, all of this just means that a whole bunch of wealth was being hoarded within a very small percentage of not only the country but even even within Wall Street, even within uh, investors it was it was held within a very small portion of those investors and he cut the top income tax rate from seventy to fifty then to twenty eight percent
0: yeah th- that's just bad 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 economics because we had been in like the age of like continued economic expansion from when the new deal from like new deal programs from when those were created to about um the late really until reagan um there was like a solid economic expansion then reagan by cutting the top income tax rates from by like from 70 to 28 percent by doing that and a lot of the other programs that he instituted it stopped that progress and basically and a lot of his policies were actually responsible for not only what was it the 1986 um, economic crisis or it was one of the 80s that he that there was a somewhat minor um, economic crisis And then, um, not only that, but also, um, partly respon. he was also partly responsible for, um, the great recession of 2009,
1: 2008. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and Reagan was staunchly against the expansion of tax brackets. Um, he wanted to reduce the number of tax brackets, uh, by by a significant amount, and again, he was successful in doing that. The, and the way we view taxes currently is largely inspired by his tax policy. Um, at points, you had so so he did reduce the number the amount of tax on uh, the lowest income percentile in the country, which uh, currently would be I think around twenty four thousand uh, dollars a year annually. Um, uh, the, your income would be twenty four thousand dollars annually, but um. At the time, it was it was clearly lower. Um, but yeah, he reduced the national income tax on the lowest percentile of the country. But also, you ended up in a situation where people who were making, say, five hundred thousand dollars a year in today's money would be paying the or would be would fall under the same bracket and would therefore pay percentage wise the same amount as. People who were multi billionaires. Um, so that that is the mess of a system that he created with tax brackets. And still, for whatever reason, uh, there's this idea that more tax brackets complicates the tax system. And uh, we still don't have very many tax brackets. And the expansion of the number of tax brackets as an economic policy, which um, Hillary proposed in 2016, um, Obama proposed in 2008 um i even even biden was kind of on board with that until later it's just the expansion of the number of tax brackets is seen as a problem or it's seen as something that complicates the tax system rather than a very common sense thing that you know people again take we're using a lot of jargon but uh taking it back to like the basics people who make roughly the same amount of money should be paying roughly the same amount of money in taxes percentage wise um that's that's just how it should be I think uh and we are very far from that thanks to Reagan's tax policy um and oh go ahead
0: yeah I mean um you have I want to go kind of a little bit on a tangent about like how complicated the tax system is the tax system does not have to be complicated the IRS knows how much every single person owes in taxes, but yet we're required um, to figure it out by ourselves, and if we do it wrong, we get audited. And so this is, like, not how most um, industrialized um, nations do taxes. Like, I think it's Japan that they just send you a bill being like, okay, here much Here's um, how much you owe in taxes. If you disagree with us, please write back to us. Um, But yeah, they basically just say, this is what you owe in taxes. They've already figured it out for you. Here, we have to figure it out for ourselves. And the reason that we have to do that is because there is a lot of lobbying from TurboTax. From a lot of these um, tax programs that claim to be free and such... But yet, one, are making our tax system unnecessarily complicated. And two, um, they're not actually, TurboTax isn't actually free, depending on how much money you make.
1: No, no. And and as you said, there's an immense amount of lobbying from TurboTax uh, that has essentially convinced people that they need to use TurboTax in order to not just kind of accurately calculate their expenses but there's also a lot of fear-mongering regarding tax fraud and how individuals can commit tax fraud um which as we know it's, it's usually not individuals it's usually corporations um and people are across the board losing money from using turbo tax rather than saving money
0: right exactly i mean if we had like and then this this also kind of brings up another issue that the IRS, because of Reagan's policies, I, I think Reagan had a lot to do with this, and also subsequent um, conservative um, Republican presidents, um, the IRS has been defunded in a lot of ways. Now, a lot of people are like, okay, cool, we don't really like the IRS. Why don't we like the IRS? It's because we've been told by years or, or for years and years and years by a lot of predominantly republican politicians that taxation is theft and that um this has been like one of the mantras of some of the um further um right conservatives they're over here like taxation is theft and everything and that we should be paying way, way 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 less in taxes some people a lot on the um, libertarian side of things um argue that we shouldn't be paying taxes at all like there shouldn't be in a federal income tax um that's a bad idea um but we have been fed this lie of taxes not being um good and the irs being this organization that's just in it to like go after the money of like just the ordinary citizen and the re- but the reason why the irs goes after um just um ordinary people that aren't like making like you know billion or millions and billions of dollars the reason why they go after people the reason why they audit more of the lower and middle classes is because they can't afford to audit um people who are millionaires and billionaires because they have been so defunded by politicians that have been, like, IRS bad.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, the IRS cannot go after uh, corporations and individuals who uh, actually do need to be audited, um, regardless of how much information they have to kind of make them want to go audit these corporations and individuals. Um, and so they can really only go after people who don't have that much money to begin with and have committed minor tax fraud at best. Uh, Not to mention, they, again, are heavily, heavily regulated by the government and they do not have the freedom to uh, actually conduct investigations that they otherwise would.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, this kind of goes with another... With another thing where the traditional M.O. of a lot of conservatism is to say in the beginning of when they're trying to say of when they're trying to like do whatever policy they want. They say first something isn't working and and like they could say this about any system they can say it about Social Security they can say it about Medicare they can say it about the IRS they say something isn't working, and then proceed to make ta- make uh, spending cuts on the things that aren't working or that they say aren't working, even though they were working. They make spending cuts on the things that were working, and then as a result, those things don't work. Those things don't work. That proves the point of this thing of the conservatives saying this stuff isn't working, and so pretty soon you then have this art of completely artificial justification to make even more cuts into um social safety nets and such and like other governmental functions. And pretty soon you have the government operating super inefficiently, especially at the federal level, the federal government op- operating super inefficiently for what?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it's, and obviously, we continue to see that today. Um, and maybe it, it begs the question of, of why is it so easy? Why is it so easy to claim that a certain government branch or a certain social net is not working and then radically defund it afterwards or, or, or gradually begin defunding it? Um, but we continue to see this. Um, uh, we continue to see this. And a lot of programs have since been defunded. Um, And yeah, the IRS is is absolutely one of them. They simply do not have the means of auditing the people that need to be audited. Um, And as we're going to touch on, uh, Reagan did this with pretty much every other social welfare program, um, and got several of them uh, almost completely defunded. Um, Yeah. So he so to begin with, as as we as we, as we touched on earlier, Reagan was staunchly, staunchly opposed to people receiving any sort of help from the government, and he was instrumental in the creation of the stereotype of welfare queens, um, the idea that people can subsist entirely off of programs such as EBT, SNAP, TANF, um, just programs that provide people with assistance for food um, and other basic necessities. And uh, he, so one of his strategies was to discuss the kind of bureaucratic problems within these systems and then discuss the types of individuals who had access to these programs um, as a result of how flawed the systems were. And then he slowly began to defund them and he had a lot of people on his side with defunding them. Um, Congress was largely on his side. So they uh, were able to help him uh, largely defund a lot of these programs, but also begin to make them a lot more inaccessible for the people who were using them previously. Uh, And this was also, again, coupled with the fact that he was already reducing the number of taxes on um, major corporations and individuals who were incredibly high income. Uh, so the government simply did not have the money to uh, take care of these people outside of these programs either Um, so what you what happened as a result of this was the further disenfranchisement of a lot of communities um, who completely lost their means of survival in a lot of ways
0: right exactly and I just want to talk a bit about, um, a bit about Congress, um, during this entire time. For a lot of Reagan's presidency, the House was democratically controlled. But yet he was able to get a lot of stuff done. Um, and so... What I've always found amazing is, uh, or found quite weird, is that everyone is talking about, um, or a lot of people, when they talk about bipartisanship, they talk about people like Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House during the Reagan years, and how he would frequently um, compromise with Reagan on a lot of stuff, and so we have the de- the Democratic Party has never actually um, had the conversation about the amount of harm that those types of compromises have done to people because compromising with reagan it did it gave us trickle down economics compromising with reagan gave us these tax cuts that just screwed up our financial system in ways that we're still trying to figure out yeah
1: absolutely um there was it, in an effort to, at the time, maintain bipartisanship, um, this resulted in Reagan essentially being able to walk all over Congress at the time. And um, there's we, there's a term that I'm blanking um blanking on, but uh, I think what is it? The popular president? There's some sort of political science term that refers to the fact that uh, the role of the president as kind of this figurehead, um, which really, as as anyone who studies political science knows, um, Congress generally, the legislative branch generally has most of the power within the United States government. Um, But Reagan definitely helped kind of elevate the role of the president from this figurehead to this person that through control of the media, through control of just national popularity, um, through control of uh, just how the government is supposed to be perceived, Um, was able to uh, really change the role of the president and make it easy for presidents to, from then onwards, kind of walk over Congress um, and make sure that the executive agenda is what uh, gets put in place rather than kind of a, a tri-branch agenda that otherwise would, or bi-branch by by by-branch agenda, because we're not going to not gonna get into the judicial branch branch at the moment. Um yeah, uh yeah. So Reagan was really instrumental in making that change. Um and we saw that with, I mean, uh, every president since Reagan has has only expanded the role of the presidency. Um so yeah. But uh yeah, Congress agreed to a lot of these changes to a lot of these social programs. Um and again, uh the fact that the national deficit was increasing because uh, Reagan had reduced taxes so much, the fact that the spending for these programs was also reducing, and the fact that uh, through, through the capital gains tax, uh, that there was a massive incentive for people to uh, hold on to their shares. Uh, and um, the fact that they were getting tax breaks from holding on to them longer Uh, resulted in the massive disenfranchisement of a lot of communities. Um, The wealth gap increased significantly under Reagan. And again, we're still dealing with the long-term ramifications of that. um, And it has only increased since then. Um, So we just want to make the point that a lot of these ideas were incredibly dumb. Just incredibly dumb.
0: Right. I mean, and obviously we know that, um, like, a lot of Reagan's economic policies had a lot of like malicious racist intent of course but at the end of the day like if you could just like boil it down to like one thing they were just incredibly stupid dumb ill conceived just complete bs that was treated for so long like it was pre- like they were the premierly good Economic policies.
1: Yes. And um, these policies and this mentality are just incredibly pernicious because obviously people still think that trickle down economics works. People still think that it's a completely sound system. Um, Obviously, Trump was in favor of trickle down economics. um, And although a lot of politicians on the left don't necessarily outwardly express their support for trickle down economics, there's still this idea that by reducing taxes on corporations by reducing regulations on corporations, um, the general public benefits from these things, um, that the general, the general economy benefits from these things. Um, And as we have seen in 2000, just the 2000s have been a demonstration of this, Um, the stock market doing well does not necessarily mean that ordinary people in the country are doing well. Um, So it's, it's, it's also very interesting because Reagan kind of created his own economic system that is being treated as a valid economic system that we are now, that we now kind of have to consider as I uh, just valid, that economists have to consider as valid and actually have to work with it. Um, yeah.
0: Why was it that Reagan did all of these economic policies? Why did he pioneer such a complete bs system and i think there's another point that i uh want to really make um that i i actually got this kind of from um there's this documentary on um showtime called the reagan's it's this four-part docuseries about um ronald reagan nancy reagan and basically the entirety of the reagan's political careers And one of the points that they made was that Reagan wasn't necessarily, like, a mastermind of, like, economic policy. He didn't come up with a lot of these ideas. These were all from corporate America. These were all from corporate, basically, the wealthy wanting to pay less in taxes. This is really the bottom of a lot of these trickle down policies. This is why there were so many corporate tax cuts. This is why the top income tax bracket the top income tax was cut from 70% to 28%. That this is why it's because corporate America um made this huge 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 campaign particularly through Reagan um to basically say hey if um you cut taxes for us we'll reinvest the money we save from those taxes into creating new jobs that didn't happen because it misses er, trickle down economics it misses a fundamental point of human nature that people are greedy (laughs) pretty much the people are selfish in that when they're in a position where they have a lot of money most of the time they'll hoard it and then they'll always be in a pursuit to get more
1: yes um there is i mean reagan uh, trickle-down economics essentially it it wants to support this idea that there is an invisible hand, right? That there is this kind of invisible force that runs the economy and that there are like natural laws uh, in which the economy functions, but it doesn't. The economy is run by people and people's transactions. Um, And uh, people generally tend to hoard money if they can. Um, And corporations with an immense amount of power uh, tend to also hoard money um, instead of wanting to, I mean, it just, the, the corporations do not get much benefit from uh, paying paying taxes, from being over-regulated or, or even like reasonably regulated. I mean, if you're, if you're looking solely at the benefit of corporations, they do benefit from trickle-down economics. They do benefit from propagating the lie that there is an invisible hand. Um, they benefit from not having very many other competitors. They don't benefit from uh, the creation of other industrial competitors, um, as, you know, trickle-down economics often claims will happen. Uh, so, yeah, Reagan's campaign was just a mouthpiece for corporate America. Um, it, was, uh, it was when, really, we saw a lot of the growth of a lot of lobbying, industrial lobbying. Um, he didn't really have very many of his own ideas. And so he, uh, his, his economic policy at least was, was very, very kind of inspired for his, uh, I guess, I mean, even going back to what he did for a general electric, um, his, <laughs> I don't know, wish to be a mouthpiece for corporate America, which we don't really know, we, we don't really, we can't make claims as to why that was the case.
0: I mean, hot take. The invi- a lot of the stuff about, like, the invisible hand of the market, it's complete BS. Like, you have a lot of especially conservative economists talking about the invisible hand and in while we're here, like, you do realize that with every single financial crisis that we have had, there have been real tangible ways to prevent those from happening, and the reason why they actually happened in the first place was because we didn't take those steps to prevent the financial crises from happening. There isn't this mythical thing of just, oh, there's going to be a boom, oh, there's going to be a bust. That's just how the world works. The The reason why it appears that way is because when st- when stuff is about to go bad, we don't recognize that it's going to be bad and we don't make the changes necessary to prevent the bad from happening.
1: No, and um, again, like if we if we want to talk about human nature, which often comes up in in economics, and, and often like the invisible hand system again is like propagated as like the ultimate form of like human nature that's like present within economics. Um, one of the major reasons why it fails is because in times of economic crises. There's obviously there's obviously this want to hold on to your money as much as possible, to hold on to your property as much as possible, to hold on to your shares as much as possible in case the situation gets worse, Um, which is absolutely what we saw in two thousand eight and what people saw in nineteen thirty during the Great Depression, but also uh, Reagan through through capital gains tax uh, and through just this kind of panic that he created within the financial system uh, d- kind of helped corporations and helped people hold on to things as much as possible, which actually reduced the number of industrial competitors in the market, which reduced industrial growth. It didn't contribute to the growth of that stuff whatsoever. So this was a completely counterintuitive policy
0: exactly i mean you look at like how society has like perceived the wealthy and like you have like a lot of depictions of wealthy people as being like pretty selfish and a lot of those depictions are based on a lot of like social commentaries like you saw it in like um you see it in um, a lot of the work of Charles Dickens. You see it in "It's a Wonderful Life," um, and just this—it's we have a lot of these depictions because we have seen throughout history that the that human nature and the pretty much kind of a predisposition of selfishness it will always win if it's not regulated.
1: Yes it will it will always win if it's not regulated um and there's been so we know within American culture there's this idea to uh side with the people who are wealthy because they're seen as people who beat the system in a way or they're people they're seen as people who worked within a system to uh maximize it um. And Reagan, people like Reagan, figureheads like Reagan, have largely contributed to this myth that uh, the the primary reason why people are wealthy is because they they just they simply deserve to have that wealth because they have earned it all on their own through perfectly legitimate means. Whereas people who uh, don't have wealth or people who are struggling economically uh, don't have it because they made mistakes and because they. Uh, they, they had an equal opportunity to earn it but they simply didn't um and it's it's under this is obviously like a very easy way to look at the economic system so uh we understand why it's appealing but um no this is reagan was a symptom of a larger kind of problem with how american culture views wealth and we definitely we definitely like to side with the wealthy i mean again like yeah like has it's a wonderful life taught us nothing like we definitely like to side with the wealthy in the united states <sighs> yeah we so we know that this episode has been a lot there's been a lot of economic jargon a lot of which like we don't we don't fully understand but we really want to hammer in the point that that reagan reagan was, economic, was dumb <laughs> His, his economic policy has just led, led to, I mean, ultimately, he uh, did not care very much about people who were struggling economically. Um, and if he did, his policies just completely disenfranchised, disenfranchised them further. Um, and we don't really know why this is the case. We don't really know why any politician who supports similar policies does this. Um, but we just really want to hammer in the point that Reaganomics is like a large part of why the current economic system is the way it is. Um, Reaganomics is the reason why uh, we, we just have so, so much legislation supporting uh, the further, like the protection and the further growth of uh, corporations and of industries and why why it's seemingly so difficult for people at the bottom to uh have access to a lot of social services and why it's so difficult for people who uh are who who are struggling economically to uh really make kind of the major changes in their lives that would put them in a financially better place yeah um we can clear a few things up in the next episode, but there's mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about with Reagan. So
0: yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, th- this is a good place to uh, end the episode. Um, we're definitely gonna talk about more of the um, the morality side of Reagan. So yeah, thank you so much, Nia, for coming on to the show again.
1: Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Um, feel free to do your research on this, guys. Yeah, because <laughs> we might we might it not. Be freaking wasted. wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, please do your research, but um, you'll you'll find out how insane all of this is once you do.
0: All right. See ya. See ya. Alright, that's our show. Thank you so much to Nia for coming on to the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at 2024 underscore podcast. Our Twitter is at 2024 Pod. Our editor and producer is Grace Herzog. Our graphic designer is Cass Bradley. Our social media coordinator is Hunter Asme. Our policy specialists are Katie Kraft and Jada Hunter. Our legal analyst is Dee Huey. And the intro and outro song is by Joakim Karud. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.